Um, I absolutely love that you said that because you, you hit the nail on the head, man. For some reason, I feel like we have a culture nowadays that um, is more about instant gratification, right? Uh, we're, we're like, we do things and if, it, if we don't get immediate results, then, hey, maybe this isn't for me. Man, I, I love that you put in the work. You put in the work, you created your own platform. Essentially, you created your platform by creating the meetup, right? Um, you went out, you did your due diligence, you pretty much built a team, i.e. those, those um, the other real estate uh, agent that you, that you worked with. Um, I love that. You just put in the work and you talked about playing the seed at the beginning um, with the, with the uh, Instagram and, and basically everything, everything you've done. Um, and now you're starting to bear those fruits and man, they, they just don't, those apples just don't stop falling, man. Like it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's raining money now. Right. And so it's, <laughs> so it's awesome, man. Hey, how's it going? This is Dan Wynn and Mike Glassby. And this is the military cash flow podcast where we teach service members how to build wealth and create passive cash flow through real estate. We cover real deals, real numbers, and real lessons learned from other successful investors. Now, whether you're watching this on YouTube or you're listening on the podcast, we need you to like, share, and subscribe. Now let's get started creating this military cash flow. Hey, what's going on guys? This is Dan Wynn. And Mike Glassby. And welcome to the military cash flow. Hey, today we got a special guest. His name is Patrick Menifee, and uh, he's coming all the way from Charlotte, and he's going he's gonna to tell us about how he got his 12 units or 12 homes in 12 months. 12 homes in 12 months. Absolutely crazy. Hey, thanks, Pat. Thanks for coming on. Really, really appreciate you. Please, uh, can you give us a little introduction? Let us know a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks, Dan, Mike. Appreciate you guys having me on. Looking forward to it. Um, Quick background, I grew up in Minnesota, uh, grew up in a real entrepreneurial family. Um, my dad was in sales with my mom. She owned a very successful Mary Kay business when I was growing up. So um, I grew up around makeup everywhere for one, but um, she ran the business out of her home. I need to get some of it. Um, but she, I grew up with that in the home. So she was at you know all my school events, all my baseball games. She was at everything. Um, but I saw her working all the time, but I, I got to see the lifestyle that it afforded. So I got started in the entrepreneurial game, um, early at like 10 with, you know, the first kid business that I made, which I think is now called pirating CDs. But, um, at the end of the day, it, that kind of stuck with me the whole time. So I went to Iowa state university, um, Iowa state, the cyclones, not the Hawkeyes for anybody out there who's a Hawkeye. Um, and then I, I did ROTC there and then was in the army for six years after that as an infantry officer. So I uh, spent most of my time in Fort Riley. After I got out of the army, I transitioned into PresswaterhouseCoopers working in consulting, um, traveling every week and moved out to Charlotte, North Carolina. And it was about, about nine months or probably a little over a year actually after I got started with that, that I got started in real estate investing. Um, it had been kind of in the back of my mind the whole time. Um, I'd, I'd been planning to do it, but it took a, you know, it took a little bit to figure out what I was going to do and finally got kicking the pants. It was almost a year ago, uh, about a year ago next week that I really got kicking the pants and it really got me going and got started. And within the first, uh, really within the first month of getting started, I had 20 or uh, I'm sorry, 10 units under contract. So, so within the first month. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I went, so I was at this event with uh, the brokers that sold me my house. Mm -hmm. June 6th, they had a customer appreciation event. 
Um, and it was, I guess it was probably five weeks. Uh, a month later, I had my four unit under contract. And then about a week and a half after that, I had a six unit under contract. Okay, hold on. We got we to we rewind a little bit. That's, yeah. that's amazing. <laughs> but let's rewind a little bit, man. Uh, you know, you were, you were in the military, you were doing your thing. And you said you only did six years. You said real estate was kind of in on your mind. It was in the back of your mind, but you didn't really take that plunge. What about real estate attracted you uh, to that as an asset class? And why didn't you go in sooner in your career? Oh, man. It's a question I've asked myself a lot. Um, <laughs> it's so I think when I mentioned that I had the entrepreneur vibe all along, I, I did some of the, I mean, it kind of reminded me of your story a little bit with some of the MLM stuff, trying really anything. Um, I knew ultimately that was what I wanted to do long-term, uh, the business, like owning my own business, but I had no idea what the hell I wanted to do. Um, and so as a result, you know, I, I was actually, I remember I was in Kuwait. I was on my way back from Kuwait and I was looking up business ideas and I had been, you know, bored sitting in the desert and, found bigger pockets for the first time and I started looking at it and that was when the idea kind of popped in my head a little bit um, again didn't take action on it for a while and I think I just wasn't focused I didn't have my goal I had my day-to-day -day grind at the army I had you know the things that I was working on in the army and I was just kind of wrapped up in the everyday life um, and I didn't take the time to you know set my long-term goals of what I'm looking for which I think can be really easy to do in the army um, you know what your contract is and you know what that looks like um, so, but once I, once I got out, I, and as I started to get out and started that process, that was when I really started realizing more and more what I wanted to do and set a game plan. Game plan ended up totally changing, but that was really what kind of started it. Yeah. You're right about being able to plan, uh, very, very eff efficiently when you have a military contract, because you already know what your income is going to be. You know, the duration, how long it's going to last. And so when people can actually take that contract, that four year, six year, seven year contract, and if they sat down and actually strategize to come, come up with a, an exit plan, it, it can be done very easily, but too many people don't do it. It's pretty sad. Yeah, they really don't. Yeah, that's amazing. I just want to touch on something here. So you, you talked about, um, I mean, you just straight up skipped the single family, right? So most people, anybody that you talk to, any most of investors, even myself, um, usually we start off as single family, right? What gave you the confidence to, to jump the single family, skip the single family and go straight to the multifamily? Did you have a mentor? Like, were you just in a certain space? Did you read something? I mean, what, what was it that, that enabled you to just skip that, skip the whole single family, go straight for the multifamily? And, and how do you think that, um, what would you say to someone else that, that would like to do the same thing? I think it's, I mean, it's a really good point because that is what you hear everybody talk about and you hear all the recommendations to do. Um, there's, I, I guess at the end of the day, for me, I bought my personal home and my plan was to use, I used the VA loan to buy it. It was my, when I said I had initial plan, it was going to be, you know, live in this for a year. I was going to leapfrog by the next one. Maybe if I found something in between, pick it up, do it. Great. Um, and then that was when I got that kick in the pants. Like, why am I not just doing something? And it was, I think there were a couple of things. Some of it was just, you call it to an extent, as much as I don't want to say it, call it to an extent, dumb luck. I was filtering, I mean, I was filtering down the Charlotte area and the Charlotte area is huge. There's a ton of stuff in the Charlotte area. You look at the Charlotte MLS and there's thousands of listings on there. I think there's like 3,800 active. And one way that you can filter it down, 
significantly from 3,800 down to 38 is by filtering to multifamily. Um, knew the returns of it. Once I started looking at it a little bit more, uh, and I don't know if it was just dumb luck that I found that. I'm sure that I'd read some stuff about it too. I'd like to give myself a little bit more credit than just luck, but you know. Um, but at the end of the day, once I started looking at it and realizing the benefits of it, it's at, you know, you're purchasing one building um, or in the case of the six units, it ended up being three buildings, but it was all under one contract. Uh, it was one due diligence period, one set of everything. You look at the long-term, you look at the risk mitigation factors and you look at the, the different aspects of it. And you've got one roof. I have um, my portfolio right now. I've got out of my 12 units. I realize this a lot big time as COVID hit was out of the 12 units, I needed three in order to keep myself positive. Mm-hmm. And that's huge. So everything combined, it, the numbers look great. There's obviously, there are difficulties with it, um, but the difficulties aren't what you would think as far as, you know, jumping into something big. The difficulties are more around, like Mike and I have talked about a couple of times, comping. It's a real pain to comp some multifamilies, especially when there's not a ton around. But the difficulties as far as, you know, jumping into something quote unquote bigger, that's not the hard part. It's just as easy in my mind as, I mean, I haven't, I guess, owned an investment single family, but it's similar in that regard. Yeah, definitely agree, man. I love that you did that. And I love that you spoke to those points, um, especially the risk mitigation factor. I mean, I think, I mean, most multifamily investors right now, we're, we're, we're loving it. You know, I'm the same way, dude. Like a couple of my single or a couple of my multifamilies, I just got to have two people in and, and I'm good to go, you know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. so that's, that's, that's awesome. Uh, I love that. I love that you uh, took that risk or uh, not took the risk, but took that mitigated risk, I guess. Right. You, you educated yourself and then uh, went from there. What did you do to educate yourself outside of bigger pockets? I mean, did you have a mentor? Did you, or did you, um, were you latched on to anybody or were you just, just reading heavy and Hey, I'm taking action right now. I'll fail forward. I did. So I had a couple of different things. I didn't directly have a mentor. Um, I had one of my buddies here is a real estate agent. He's the one that sold me my house. Um, his name's Alex. Big shout out to Alex and Verge. They're fantastic. And he did a great job, but he, uh, at the end of the day, I bounced a lot of stuff off of him. So he wasn't an investor personally. I mean, he worked with plenty, you know, in his job as an agent, but I was able to bounce stuff off of him. He understood it. He understood what I was talking about. Um, I read a ton of books. I read Bigger Pockets books. I engaged on the forums. I honestly, as time went on though, I realized more and more, I read less real estate books and more business books and more thought process books and that kind of thing. Um, but it, I, one of the other things that I did was I pulled together as I was going through Bigger Pockets on the forums, um, you know, everybody talks about a meetup. I couldn't really go to meetups because I travel every week for work. So Monday through, up until COVID hit, Monday through Thursday, I'm living out of a hotel room so I could never go to any of the meetups but I did start seeing a bunch of people I had the filters set up on bigger pockets and so I would get notifications and alerts when people would come in uh, and start talking about Charlotte area and so I'd engage with new investors and started a, a group chat on the group me platform and basically anytime anybody said they were from Charlotte I said hey you know got this platform like-minded investors blah 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 and at the end of the day we ended up now we have over 100 people in that group um, started a meetup as well. And so being able to just bounce those ideas off each other, it started, and part of the beauty of it too was no one was incredibly advanced in what they were doing, but everybody has progressed together. So, you know, out of a hundred, there's probably 20%, probably follows the 80, 20 rule pretty closely, but it's probably about 20% that actually are uh, active 
but we've also all grown together and we're all helping each other out and keeping each other in check. So that was a huge part of it as well. And so when you're talking about getting 12 homes in 12 months, how you scale like that, everything that you just mentioned, you did it uh, uniformly. You didn't just scale with your knowledge, right? You went from books about real estate to now more general books about business and how to operate and run your business very efficiently. You didn't just stay within your, your uh, you know, comfort zone as far as networking. You created your own network, right? You didn't stay within just putting in one offer on a single family home. You put in all the offers on all the homes. Right? <laughs> so, like, you scaled, but that's what's super important about that. Um, when you are looking to scale, you cannot only scale in one aspect of your life. You have got to be able to open up your mind and scale uh, everything simultaneously. So that's a very, very good point. Kudos to you for that. And I think it's just to add a little bit to that. I think you have to realize that, I mean, everyone always uses the same type of analogy about the tree bearing fruit and all that kind of stuff or the time it takes to plant a seed. But at the end of the day, the things that you do, the groundwork that you lay and foundation that you lay, it absolutely builds. And it may not feel like it at the time when you're starting these conversations and you start, I, I face uh, social media. Um, I, I had an Instagram account that I'd posted, I think 15 things on in five years. Um, and I started getting active on it. And as a result, it was hard at first. Like I wasn't good at it. It was horrible. My first posts were absolutely, and probably still not great, but building that and doing all those different things, led to deals now they led to money now they led to partnerships now and all of those all the steps that i took early on that i was just grinding and seeing nothing come up um i mean the 12 units came up that was cool but <laughs> aside from that see, seeing nothing else come up as the immediate fruits of my labor now i'm seeing all of that you know it's only eight months later and it's it, it's making a huge difference but if i didn't do that because i was looking for the immediate result or like you said, I was only scaling in one particular corner of my business. I wouldn't have seen any of that stuff. So you have to be able to, that's what makes it hard, but you have to be able to balance all of it. And I know we've talked about this before, but you, you have to have a why that's pulling you there. Otherwise, if you're just kind of jumping around doing everything, you're never going to get anywhere. And I absolutely love that you said that because you, you hit the nail on the head, man. For some reason, I feel like we have a culture nowadays that um, is more about instant gratification, right? Uh, we're, we're like, we do things and if, it, if we don't get immediate results, then, hey, maybe this isn't for me. Man, I, I love that you put in the work. You put in the work. You created your own platform. Essentially, you created your platform by creating the meetup, right? Um, you went out, you did your due diligence. You pretty much built a team, i.e. those, those um, the other real estate uh, agent that you, that you worked with. Um, I love that. You just put in the work and you talked about playing the seed at the beginning um, with the, with the uh, Instagram and, and basically everything, everything you've done. Um, and now you're starting to bear those fruits and man, they, they just don't, those apples just don't stop falling, man. Like it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's raining money now. Right. And so, it's, <laughs> so it's awesome, man. It's awesome. And you have, you have everything lined up. Now you mentioned um, you have to tie it to a why. Now you were, was there a why? Was there like an event that happened in your military career? Because I know that you were always entrepreneurial, but was there something that said, you know what? I have to get this, this rental portfolio going. I have to create this passive income. Is there, is there a why to that? Yeah, there's, there are a few different layers to it. Um, one was, there was a very big 
spark for me. I mean, as I was getting out of the army, there was a, you know, as you transition, there's a lot of things that go through your head. There's a lot of things that you try to do as you move into your next job. So that was, that was one thing, but I also, I transitioned out in uh, beginning of 2018 and I started my job in May and then it was really, I turned 30 in November and right around that time I had kind of that realization of, you know, 30 isn't old, but at the same time, it's also like, what do I, Aside from, I had a successful army career, um, had a great life, everything was good, but what did I really have that I was building that I could show for it? That started it as kind of the kick in the pants. Um, Right around the same time, my dad got really sick. And so kind of having building, you know, I talked about my mom at the beginning, she passed when I was in college. And so having that as a driver between the two of them, that was definitely a part of the why. And then that, that kind of set really the long-term thing. And so I knew that a job, I always knew that a job wasn't something that I wanted to do long-term. I would use it as a stepping stone. Um, and that was, that was going to be that. Um, but really tying it back to, I knew that I wanted to do something that was impactful. I wanted to do something that was big and would actually truly make a difference. Um, right around that same time was when Hurricane Florence hit. And I was, I went out and I, I took a couple of days off of work and drove, you know, a thousand miles around the state of North Carolina, trying to help people out and do some stuff and got a real passion for that too. And so I, that became a little bit of a passion as well was, and a part of a why was I want to a be able to have the financial means to quit my job. But in my, I, I feel like you really, like that can be a why to an extent, but money can't be the only why. And maybe for some people it can, but when you get there, then what? Um, for me, it was a why where I want to, I want to be able to get out of my job. I want to have a good life. Well, I do. I don't want to be living on, you know, college ramen noodles and MREs, although MREs are expensive. So, you know, I don't think I can do that, but, um, and then along with that, I wanted to be able to do something. I wanted to start a, a disaster relief nonprofit. Um, and so being able to do that, I didn't want to do that while living on ramen noodles. I wanted to do that while actually having an income as well and have the financial means to support that business and support that nonprofit. And so all those things combined have added, and I know that went in a few different directions, um, but all of it really ended up tying together to being, this is why I want to do this, why I want to get there. And this is, you know, these are the steps I need to take to get there. All right. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Hey, make sure you go leave a five-star review on the podcast and then also go check out militarycashflow.com to get access to all the products we have. We have a bunch of great stuff on the website to include um, access to the Facebook group, access to a military cash flow calculator so you can analyze your deals. We have uh, courses. We have all of our social media. We just have a bunch of stuff on there. So go check that out. And with that, Here's a word from our sponsors. That's beautiful, man. Because you you covered uh, essentially when you have a why like that, that's not tied to money. That's something a little bit more. It gives you that extra push. It gives you that extra drive. It gives you something to do with that money. Because after you make it all and you have, you know, whatever it is, $30,000 a month coming in, great. It's all, you know, that's your net income. What are you going to do with it? Are you just going to sit on the beach? Are you going to help give back? So I love that. And, And real estate is one of those tools where just by being a good landlord, you're giving back, right? You're giving that affordable housing to some of these people to actually have a location and things of that nature. So it's one of those assets that pay for you to be uh, good at it. Just inherent. I love it. And that's what I love about what you guys are doing with the military cash flow too, with the podcast, with, uh, you know, with your pints and properties, all of it together. I'm part of what I love about it. Part of what I, 
really was passionate about when I was getting on the army was giving back. And whether that's, you know, and on the one side, like you're saying, giving back to tenants, being able to provide good housing on the other side, being able to give back to fellow investors, give, give back to people that are, you know, like you guys are doing in the veteran community, trying to help educate them and provide financial literacy. Um, and then also just for investors as a whole, I want to, and I've tried to gear, you know, my platforms, whether it's social media or my website towards that, as far as how do I add value? How do I provide this as an educational platform? How do I, you know, a lot of times you, the whole thing, you can either learn through blunt force trauma or through a significant emotional event or both. Um, if I can raise some of my significant emotional, I want to beat contractors over the head or I make huge mistakes. I want to be able to share that with people and I want to educate people and help people in that regard. And you have to have a why beyond yourself and beyond money. And I think all of it just makes a huge world of difference. It's crazy. Every single person that we brought on this podcast, every single person, their why, when they talk about it, it's always bigger than themselves. It's never about them. It's never about the money because the money is just a byproduct, right? The money is just a byproduct of you going out and, and putting out those, uh, those, I like to say good vibes, right? Just putting out those good vibes at karma, you know, doing good for the world, just being a good person, right? And money is a byproduct of that. And I love that you, you, you touched on that and you even said it, you know, it's more than just money. It's more than just about me and myself. Um, it's always about something bigger and something greater than themselves. And I think that's, those are the people um, that, that end up changing the world. You know, those are the people that end up really, really uh, pushing, pushing, uh, pushing everyone around them forward. Right. Um, I love it, man. And on that if you're not here to make a difference, what are you doing? Exactly. It's like, what are you doing? What's, what's your purpose? Right. But another thing that a lot of people don't realize is when you have that, why, like, so for you, you want to be able to give back. It also gives you somewhat of a stopping point. Right. So how many homes are we going to get? Right. Maybe it's 12, maybe it's 10, uh, you know, maybe it's the 12 homes in 12 months that bring me that $10,000 a month. And then at that point, now I have the financial freedom to do everything that I've been set out for my intentions. Right. Now it helps yeah. you kind of set that barrier. So, so you're not just acquiring properties to the 200 doors for no reason. Right. It gives you those, those, those kind of guiding measures as well. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I could stop at that point. I think I'm a little bit too competitive. Yeah, we're, yeah, we'll, we'll, never, we'll never, we'll never, we'll <laughs> never. <laughs> typically, typically, the more uh, the more deals you have, and the more deals you do, especially uh, the the more cash flow you have, the more you're actually able to help other people. So it's kind yeah. of a, it's kind of a, a just an an awesome cycle that you know you kind of go through. But um, hey, so let's get into some of these uh, these investments, right? Let's get into some of these uh, these deals. Let's talk about your first deal or your first couple of deals because you said they were pretty much back to back I think two months what yeah. do they look like um so we got a lot of people out there listening they're just they're, they're afraid to take that first step they're afraid to take that action and, and get into it right but then you did four deals and then you did another or you did a, a four unit and then you did a six unit right after that what did that look like for you as far as financing it as far as uh doing the due diligence as far as finding it all, all those things can you speak to that please yeah, so they were, both of them were actually on the MLS. Um, one of them, they'd both been on the market for a while. Um, <laughs> the fourplex, I now understand why, because it's been a, a pain in my butt. Um, it's part of why you can see trim in the background of my video. Ah. Um, <laughs> but it's, it was, yeah, just fourplex that had been owned by an older couple um, that had, I think they'd owned it for, I don't know, decades. 
Um, and it, they just hadn't taken care of it. They owned a bunch of other stuff too. And so the, it was listed at 210. Um, and after it had been sitting there for, I think it was close to six months or so when I started looking at it and we, we spent probably, um, a week or so getting information, talking to the seller, talking to the listing agent, all of that. And, and he actually, I don't know if he slipped up or he was just tired of dealing with this one and wanted to get off the market, but he made the comment about, I think we're getting ready to offer around 170, looking to get it around 190. Um, and he ended up making a comment about how they were motivated to sell. And so we said, all right, well, that's, we'll drop that offer. And we dropped it down to 140 and ended up picking it up at 160. Oh. Um, so I got 50K off the purchase price, which is great. Um, I learned a lot during the due diligence period. I ended up having on this one, I had three different appraisers and uh, four different close dates. So one big lesson that I learned, which I had never thought of, was um, hopefully it helps someone else out out there. If you have a choice whatsoever, which usually you will, don't schedule your inspector and your appraiser to come out at the same time. They have two very, very different interests. Um, the inspector was, I mean, I've used this inspector for a bunch of my properties and he's, he's a great dude, very honest, straightforward, but he was just talking about the property with the appraiser, told the appraiser some things that he saw that was wrong. Appraiser appraised it at value, but said it was knocked it to a C4, C5, whatever it was that it couldn't qualify for a loan because of the condition. So um, cost me 800 bucks, but um, so that's one note. But otherwise, as far as the due diligence, um, got a lot of the numbers. I didn't do as thorough a due diligence as I should have on this one. I was a little bit blinded by the numbers. And so at the end of the day, I learned from it. So it's fine. Um, I think if we're applying that to new investors, I would say one, if your appraiser tells you to get a couple of people out there to inspect a couple of different things, listen to them and do it. I didn't. Um, and I paid for it, but, um, also know what your numbers are and know what works for you. I knew that even if my budget ran over, I could make the numbers work. Um, I knew that the numbers would work in the deal, but I also knew that it wasn't going to stretch me to the point where I was going to be out on the street if it didn't work out right. Um, or if I didn't get my money back in time or if the rehab ran long. Um, so that was that one, uh, closed on it, ended up having a, a horrible property manager that I knew was not going to be good, but I went with him anyway. So another lesson learned, you definitely get what you pay for. Um, and it made it, honestly, I, I think I can't really emphasize this enough with property management. Um, they were, they were very low cost, made the numbers work. I knew that that was going to be, I knew the, the cheap price came at a sacrifice, but I didn't know how much. Um, if I look at, I'm still dealing with the rehab right now because it was so slow getting tenants out and I had to evict two of the tenants. Um, and so as a result, that's costing me now with COVID that hit and not knowing what the appraisal is going to look like, that could have cost me tens of thousands of dollars because of a decision to try and save a couple hundred bucks over the course of six months. Um, so everything has a cost, but at the end of the day, numbers are going to work out very well, even though I it went way over on the rehab budget. Um, going to end up with, you know, I, I don't want to, at this point, I don't want to project the, the potential ARV on it because God knows what will change by the time I get this thing done. But uh, it'll cash flow around probably six to $900, depending on how much I pull out of it, um, after all reserves and expenses and everything. So that was the first one. A lot of lessons learned from it. It was difficult. Um, the second one that I was telling you about earlier with the, the good appraisal, that was a different story, much easier and much better return. But that was the first one. And, you know, you learn a lot from it, but you have to, 
you know, to be prepared to jump in. And I knew that that one going in, I knew that it was going to be difficult. So if you're not prepared for that and you're not ready to dive in and deal with it, then don't wait for the next one, look for the next one, pull the trigger on something else. I love it, man. I love it. All right. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Hey, make sure you go leave a five-star review on the podcast and then also go check out militarycashflow.com to get access to all the products we have. We have a bunch of great stuff on the website to include um, access to the Facebook group, access to a military cash flow calculator so you can analyze your deals. We have uh, courses. We have all of our social media. We just have a bunch of stuff on there. So Go check that out. And with that, here's a word from our sponsors. Now, you say that, uh, you mentioned before that you have 12, right? But by the end of this year, it should be closer to 20, correct? Yeah, by the end of, hopefully by the end of this month. <laughs> wow, excellent. excellent. So 12 within your first year, but you already have plenty more under contract. You went from that first one. That first one was very difficult. You got a lot of lessons learned on there. Now, what, what did that kind of translate to? What's one of your better deals? So that one just uh, just got word back on it today. Um, pretty excited about this. So this was the the second one actually. The six units. It was three duplexes. It was all in one parcel. I think that was part of why it was still in the market because it was unique in not a great area up in Statesville, North Carolina, but not bad. Um, it was going to be stable. It was going to cash flow. I had a good property manager. It would be fine. Um, ended up picking that up for one fifty five. Uh, the six units, since it was all in one parcel, I had to go with commercial loan. So, and I also had a partner on it. So I brought in, um, brought in a partner, a guy that I was actually, I lived with in the army for the majority of the time. And he lives up in DC, was looking for a place to put some cash. Um, knew that I was invested in real estate. We had some conversations. Actually, ironically, I was talking to him about a different partner, potentially partnering with them in the terms. And at the end of it, I was like, Hey man, I didn't even think about this, but do you want to just invest in this with me? And rather than working with someone I don't know, and he's like, yeah, sure, let's do it. Um, so that worked out well. He provided the majority of the cash. I provided very little. And then we split the deal close to 50-50. Um, we went in with a plan knowing that, and then we're all rented out. Um, the rent that we were going to be looking for was a whopping 450 per unit. Uh, they were anywhere between 350 and 450 a unit. So obviously nothing crazy, but on a 155 purchase price, 20, I, when I picked it up, it was at 2470. So not bad at all. Um, ended up subdividing it each duplex into its own parcel. My thinking was at the time, uh, and, and I still stand by it, but it makes it easier if I want to sell one off, I want to recoup some cash, but it did also increase the value of it. So subdivided, um, turned over a couple of tenants, did very little, but including the subdivision, put $7,500 into it. Um, just did the refi or I'm in the process of the refi, but just got the appraisal back for 255. So mm. that was, mm. that was a sweet message I got today. So let's recap that. Let's, let's recap yeah. that. Rewind that a little bit. Cause yeah. you threw out a lot of numbers there. So, yeah. so you got a six unit, right? Three duplexes, one lot. You got a partner that used to live with another military member. I'm assuming, assuming you guys share the same values, right? So you went out, you did some networking. Hey, let's partner on a deal split into parcels, um, basically three different duplexes now that now they have their own tax ID so that they, they can be sold in uh, separately so that you um, get a little bit more value out of each duplex, right? So initially you bought for 155, you said you put total 7,500 into all, into this asset total? Yep. $7,500, that puts you at 162. 
162,500 is you're all in. And you just got a, an appraisal for $255,000, about $90,000 over what, you, what your all in price is. You yes. I got that right? Yeah, you got that right. That I'm, is absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> that is phenomenal. All right, I'm still then, kind of scratching my head. And then you said, it, you said, what are you cash flowing now? Uh, I'll end up cash flowing about seven fifty. We didn't do cash out. Yeah, we did rate and term with a line of credit. Okay. So nice. we cool. actually dropped the payment fifty bucks um, by the rate being lower, and then have a line of credit for it'll end up being a line of credit for around. 70 to 75,000 dollars available at four and a half percent. So, now what do you plan to do with that? I'm buying a yacht, man. Hell yeah, <laughs> got a boat. No, no, but yeah. I'm assuming you're, I'm assuming, are you serious? Are you, I'm assuming, no, 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 I'm not. I just wanted to make sure before, <laughs> before I threw out another joke, I wanted to go, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, what do you, so what do you play? I'm assuming you're going to buy some more property, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I'm I know this guy out in Fayetteville that has a couple of things that might be a potentially good deal. Guy um, with a beard? Guy with yeah. A beard? I'm trying yeah, to grow you might have met him. Is that yeah. Oh, he's, Mike. He's been trying oh, to grow hair in, but it's oh, not working. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah let's calm it down. Let's calm it. <laughs> uh, so I'm talking to, I was actually talking to my partner today. So I have, me and my partner on that one, we made that decision was, you know, I proposed that to him. At the end of the day, the cash that we had in the deal was primarily his money. Um, about 90% of it was his. And so it was either, look, we can do this, we can refinance it. He hadn't, like, I had provided him the information on what we had gotten so far and what some of the options were, but I basically let it out as, you know, we go this route, we go the cash out route. Um, the best bet that we were gonna get was either a pretty high rate or as a portfolio um, at about 70 to 75% ARV, mm -hmm. or it was gonna be individually um, refinance each duplex and closing costs were going to eat us alive because especially right now with COVID, each one of them was charging points. Um, it was either that, and we would pull out maybe $30,000 um, or we can go this route. This lender is doing 80% loan to value on the uh, line of credit. Mm -hmm. And so now we're talking about, you know, trying to figure out and make sure that we're aligned on what exactly next, but neither of us expected this to come in at, at 255. We were both thinking around maybe 210. So that obviously gives us an extra 45 play with, which is helpful. Um, so we're, we don't have exactly a set plan yet. Um, just got the refi back earlier today, but it'll definitely go into other deals. And we're, you know, trying to decide if that's going to be to the tune of, you know, using the 75 as a down payment for a larger deal or using the 75 as cash to buy the next deal, burr it, replenish that and continue going that route. So that'll more than likely be the option, but. Keep Guys, this, this, I want everybody to rewind and just listen to this entire thing again, because you did an out of town property to long distance investing with an out of state partner where you got a property, subdivided it, then did a rate term refi with a line of credit. That right there, some people are probably scratching their head like, what just happened? But this is how you are going to scale to 12 homes in 12 months is through creativity because you didn't just have $400,000 that you put as down payments. You got extremely creative with your resources and you made it happen. 
but that's beautiful for, for anybody that's listening that isn't really comfortable with subdiv subdividing with the burr method right but with the cash out refi rate and term refi start educating yourselves guys look into this stuff and, and really see how once you kind of put all the puzzles together the sky's the limit and that's how you're going to go to those 12 homes in 12 months i'm sorry I'm sorry, 20 homes in 12 months. <laughs> That's how you're going to do that. That's amazing, man. Yo, and also, just I'm going to throw a quick plug in there really quick. If you have any questions about this stuff, uh, Path definitely in the, in the uh, Military Cash Flow Facebook group. So if you have any questions about this stuff, feel free to join in the group and uh, ask away because that's, that's what this is all about, man, Help, helping other uh, service members out. So, yeah. And, Mike, you brought up the point of, you know, you need to – Learn, if you're not comfortable with these things, if you're not comfortable with Burr or subdivision, I'll tell you what, man, I, I knew nothing about subdivision. I was flying by the seat of my pants. I had absolutely no clue. I called up a guy and was like, hey, do you subdivide a property? I probably didn't even say that. I probably said something stupid. And he's like, yeah, this is what we got to do. Yeah. <laughs> I just want these to be separate these. Um, but you just figure it out. Yeah, you just, you're, if you wait until you're comfortable with everything, you're never going to get there. You need to be comfortable enough to start taking action. You learn, I and I remember, I now forgot this because it's been, you know, so much has happened since then. But while I was just in the due diligence period for the fourplex up front, my girlfriend was reminding me tonight. I, she was asking about the other property that I'm about to close on. I said, I think it's closing on Friday. I don't know, it might not. Um, and I compare that to the first time around when I was sitting there on the edge of my seat, like, when is this gonna close? When is this gonna close? What's happening? What's happening? And I had no idea what the next step was. And now, you know, that was eight months ago. And if I had waited until I knew and I was a lot more comfortable with it, I would have never done it because I would have never known the little intricate details that I found along the way. But just figure it out. You learn from people, you talk to people, you get involved in the military cash flow Facebook group, start asking questions and start diving in. Because ultimately, what's the worst that could happen? Like if that deal didn't work out, what, what do you think would have been the worst scenario for that? The worst while I was under contract, the worst that would have happened was I lost a little bit of due diligence money. I lost an appraisal. Um, I, I mean, I'm not going to quit. So I wouldn't have quit. It just would have fallen through. Um, it's that's it. I would have moved on to the next deal and I would have found the 12 unit or six unit a couple weeks later. Yep. All right, so we're going to go ahead and take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Hey, make sure you go leave a five-star review on the podcast, and then also go check out militarycashflow.com to get access to all the products we have. We have a bunch of great stuff on the website to include um, access to the Facebook group, access to a military cash flow calculator so you can analyze your deals. We have uh, courses. We have all of our social media. We just have a bunch of stuff on there, so go check that out, and with that, Here's a word from our sponsors. Is there something that the military taught you that you have brought into real estate investing? Yeah, it, I started, I think I had that when I started to an extent, to a small extent, uh, the never wanting to quit anything um, except piano lessons. But aside from that, I everything else, I had it to an extent. The Army definitely taught it more and more. I think the biggest thing that the Army carried over or that I carried over from the Army is that flexibility um, and the being comfortable being uncomfortable. I don't think when you're in the military, I don't know, especially like for me, when I was in, I wasn't also investing at the same time. So it's not like I was also understanding, you know, dipping my toes in other waters or anything like that. But what I realized more and more, whether it's in the consulting world in my job or whether it's in real estate investing is 
the majority of people in the world don't have the ability to think on their feet. They don't have the ability to keep a level head and they don't have the ability to work through ambiguity and figure things out. And you, whether you realize it or not, if you're, especially for anybody who's still on active duty right now, you do that every single day. Um, when a frago comes in and you have to jump and move the entire motor pool in five minutes, otherwise you spend your Memorial Day weekend eating MREs, you figure it out and you get it done. It's just, it's what you're trained to do. Um, and you don't realize as much as a nightmare as it is while you're going through it, all of that stuff, it, nothing else is a big deal at the end of the day. When Once you get out or once you're doing something outside of the army, you know, a, a closing getting delayed by a day, sure, the seller might be pissed and sorry, Mike, you got to deal with it. Um, <laughs> but at the end of the day, the world's going to keep spinning and you're going to keep moving forward. And so you don't get wrapped up around the axle about it. And I think that's such a huge lesson that people don't realize that they have learned that lesson from the army. Wow. That's, that's definitely true. 100% true. I know there's so many people out there right now that might be active duty that are listening and be like, damn, dude, I deal with that all the time. New <laughs> order, new thing comes out every single day, completely changing the trajectory of that I'm on right now, completely conflicting what uh, the guidance I was just given five minutes ago. Right. And if you've been doing that, and you've been surviving. <laughs> you were built for this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You were absolutely. built for this. You can do this. <laughs> you know. So, yeah, I, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. One hundred percent sure. Yeah, many times, uh, veterans specifically, it, it's always that conversation of, you know, how do my skills transfer to anything else, right? So, for example, you were an infantry officer. Infantry is a very, very niche field, right? We don't, we're not going to war anywhere else, right? Matter of fact, the one thing I hate is typically when you put in infantry on like a lot of those career transition websites or whatever, the thing that pops up is security guard. Yeah. Like, really, bro? Like you really? a mall cop. Yeah, mall cop. <laughs> all blark now. Yeah, um, exactly. So, right around on my segue. Exactly. So <laughs> it's, it's super important to understand that there's a lot of other skill sets that the military really does provide. So for all the veterans out there, guys, we have leadership, we have discipline, we have stick to itness. I, I think that's probably a better word for that, but you guys get my point here. <laughs> and and it's really important to be able to take that into any any field. They're yeah. all trans, they're all transferable skills, especially the ability to take action. And and just like action. you said, just deal with deal with the the BS essentially. You know, if you can think on your feet and you can work on your feet and you can deal through that and still have calm nerves and still be able to function. Right. Um, you're built for this, man. You, you can easily do this. I, yeah. hundred percent. I think the one, one other thing, and I didn't really think about the translation to the army as much until right now, but we talked before about, um, I don't know if we call it risk mitigation or risk aversion, but you, when you do anything in the army and you do any training event, or if you filled out a stupid, I don't know what the risk assessment forms are anymore, but I remember every time it was a nightmare um, and you just copy and paste everything. But at the end of the day, you don't, when you go into those things, when you go into just anything in the military, you know that the risk is never going to be zero. And so you have to understand based on the event that you're doing, a live fire is going to be more risky than if you're running around with blanks. Um, every, it, uh, you know, any type of drill is going to be a little bit safer than if you're sitting in your, you know, anywhere. Um, apparently I haven't been in the army for too long and now I'm forgetting everything. Um, but <laughs> at the end of the day, nothing, everything has risk associated with it is what I'm trying to say. And so every single transaction, there's some level of risk, but if you understand what risk you're comfortable with, 
and you understand what you can do to mitigate that risk, you can then move forward in the face of it. And this deal might look risky, but I can take this, this, and this into consideration. I can mitigate it. Or on the flip side, I'm in due diligence. I know that my threshold is this and now it's exceeded that. So I'm out. I know I spent thousand dollars on inspections and due diligence, but it's all right. I know what my criteria is and that is the way that I mitigate my risk. So I think that's one really big thing too. That's huge. Define your criteria, define it. I hate, and maybe hate's a strong word. So guys don't feel like you can't come to me with this, but when somebody says, Hey, is this a good investment? And they come to me and they ask me to define a good investment for them. That is the wrong answer. You have to define your criteria, whatever your cash on cash return is, whatever your IRR is, whatever it is, you have to be able to define your criteria. So just like Pat said, when, when all of a sudden it crosses that threshold and it's no longer a good investment, it's not because you defined your criteria. You now can walk away with it without leaving the emotion into it. And it becomes a very plain, straightforward transaction. Either I'm going to move forward or not. That's beautiful. And you hear in people talking like with baseball all the time about a, a very good Hall of Fame average is 300 or 330. Um, at the end of the day, you hear about, you know, we talk about today a lot, 12 homes in 12 months, but I also had probably, I think I had 12 units. Yeah. I had 12 units in three deals that fell through um, in that same time as well. So it's not, you know, we sit here and we talk about the good ones and we talk about the success stories. I also had money, a couple thousand dollars that went into due diligence and inspections on deals. It didn't go well. And so you, that, you work through it. You, I knew what my, and same thing with what we were just saying, I knew what my criteria was on those. And so as soon as it surpassed that I was out. Um, and so just because there's a couple of good deals that came my way and I, I acted on them and it went well, doesn't mean that every single thing that I did went well. And it certainly didn't. And there plenty of times that I wanted to pull my hair out. I see Mike has already done that. So I didn't go that far, but <laughs> I had to, I had to. I had to. Yeah, man, that's that's awesome, dude. I love uh love the story. Um, love love how you've translated or, or incorporated some of the things that you learned in the military, um, in your business as well, <clears throat> and the whole the whole way that you went about it. Um, if there was anyone else out there that's trying to do something similar to what you're doing, or someone that that's just starting out, because we have a lot of people. Um, that, that we talk to on a daily basis that are just starting out and they need that little push, right? What is one piece of advice that you would give to them? Um, oh, the one piece is hard. Uh, well, let's, let's say, I, I'll give you two. I'll give you two. two. Okay. All right. <laughs> Perfect. Um, I think, and we've talked a little bit about, both, well, quite a bit about both of them, but one is having a purpose and a why. Um, and then the second one is taking action towards that why. So once you know what you're working towards and you have a reason, like last night I was out working on this stupid fourplex until midnight when I had to get up and work in the morning. It was the last thing that I wanted to do, but I knew why I was doing it. And so having the why and then taking action, like we talked about before, you can't ever have a perfect scenario. You can't ever have everything lined up perfectly before you take the first step. So take that first step identify what your criteria is and why you're going towards it and then just do it. A good plan violently executed noun is better than a um, great plan executed next week. Right. George Patton, yeah. our uh, yeah. Yeah, general Patton probably maybe mess it up just a little bit, but you That's guys fine. know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So um, 
<laughs> yeah, hundred percent agreed. Hundred percent agreed. That that is said more often than not on this podcast. Most of our guests say, "Take action, take action, take action, take action, guys," because you will never get to the finish line until you start to move forward. Period. Period. So a lot of this stuff, uh, like Patrick talked about, you know, now he's at twenty. He ain't even at twelve anymore. He's at twenty, and within a year's time frame, but he had many failures. The point is, he never stopped, and he continued to move forward. You have to take action. Love it. And and I think there's a lot of people that uh, kind of confuse taking action with, hey, I have to go out and execute a deal. Hey, there are several ways to take action. You can take action by educating yourself. You can take action just like. Uh, Pat did by creating a group or joining a group or just associate associating with a group um, and networking, right? You can take action by, it, it just doesn't mean that you have to go out and buy a deal right now. Um, that preparation phase, that takes some time as well. Um, all of that can be taking action, right? As long as you're, as long as when it comes down to, hey, you find a good deal and, and you've met your criteria, you're actually going to go forth and write an offer on it, not just you know, stay stuck in the analysis paralysis phase. So um, don't feel like if you're listening to this and hey, man, I, right now my money's not right right now. And I got to save, like I need to save a little bit of money. I need to, you know, fix my credit or do all those things. Um, you can still educate yourself. You can take courses, you can network. Um, through networking, you'll likely find a person that can show you a creative way to do it. Like Pat, like Pat's been talking about to where you might not need to put that much money through. So don't, don't just, don't feel like you have to stay isolated, um, you know, while you're doing this. You can take action by, by doing many things, not just executing an actual deal. So um, just understand that. And keep it in front of you, too. I, I did this early on, and now I've started doing more and more. And, Mike, I saw you had the 10X Cup. Grant Cardone talks about in his book writing down your goals. He said he did it every morning, every night. Um, and that's, I started doing the same thing. I didn't, maybe I didn't do it every night, maybe a couple mornings I didn't do it, but at the end of the day, I wrote them down and kept in front of me. It keeps it as a reminder. And then I started doing that on a quarterly basis, a weekly basis, and now a daily basis. And having those, it's so easy to have a why. And then all of a sudden six months to a year passes by and you haven't done anything on it. But when you have that reminder in front of you every single day, I've got it on my mirror. I've got right in front of me and right behind my camera, I've got the lessons and the effects from the tribe of millionaires like i've got this stuff all over the place and now it's just every single day i see it and so i can't not move forward towards it because i have constant reminders of what i need to be doing and what i'm essentially giving up if i don't love it love it hey so pat how can our guys get in contact with you how can our listeners uh, get in contact with you if they want to hear more from you or learn more about you uh, reach out via social media. You mentioned Facebook. I'm on the military cash flow group. Uh, reach out on Instagram. It's at investdgp. Um, my website, www.investdgp.com. And then feel free to email me as well. It's just patrick at investdgp.com. So any of those work well. Excellent. Hey, all those links will be down below as well. So, uh, make sure you check out the show notes so you can get in contact with Pat if you need to. Um, if, you've wa if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you um, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit that notification bell so you can continue to get these dope-ass videos from us. Um, also, if you're listening to us on podcast, make sure you leave us a five-star review. really appreciate that. Um, am I missing anything, Mike? No, no, nope. Share, share it, share, share, guys. Uh, and then obviously, uh, come, out to that, come out to the uh, Facebook group. For anybody who is looking to find a savvy real estate investor in your market, guys, 
you can reach out to us and we will help um, connect you with somebody that's already been vetted, right? Somebody who knows investing very well and we will get you connected with them in your local market. So please feel free to reach out to us uh, with that as well. Uh, but Pat, thanks so much for coming on, man. Dropping these, these knowledge bombs, these nuggets of fun flavor. <laughs> it was amazing, man. Happy to have you. I don't know. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Thank you, guys. It was fun. I really appreciate it. Hey, yeah, I man. had a good time. Thanks, Pat. I really appreciate you coming out. Hey, um, with that, this is Dan Wynn. Mike Glassby. Signing off. <laughs>